That is entitled Peter Pan's Flight and is the cover music for the Peter Pan ride in Walt Disney World. And this is episode 374 of PZ's podcast. And for me, a bit of a marker. I should say a definite marker for today, December the 29th, 2023, is the 50th anniversary to the day and the moment of Mary's and my marriage here in Winter Garden, Florida, as I said, exactly 50 years ago. And that music is inextricably tied to our memories because we had heard it once when we had taken a pre-marital trip to Walt Disney World near to where Mary had grown up and uh, to which I had never been before, that is to say where she had grown up. And then months later, at our very brief honeymoon before flying to England, like two nights before flying to England um, by way of Washington, we... um, went on the ride again and heard that delightful music. And that music is indelibly connected in my heart to my uh, the, the wonder and the promise and the faith of our 50-year marriage. And I want to talk a little bit about that today, briefly, but from my heart, as much as anything I've ever discussed with you. And whether you're married or single, whether you're divorced or widowed or... Um, um, have never been married, would like to be, or delighted that you're not, although I find very, very few people who are actually delighted they haven't found love. Um, This could speak to your heart because it memorializes the nature of an instantiated love that continues and has continued between the two of us for 50 years now, plus the years that we knew each other before we were married. And um, the first thing I want to say, I want to underline one thing that's important. There's tremendous confusion today, in my mind at least, That is to say, I see confusion concerning the relationship between career and being married and having a family and having a child. And it's false because um, the conflict really does not need to exist because being married and having children is more important than career fulfillment. Let me repeat that. Being married and or having children is more important than career fulfillment. This is true in 100% of cases. There are no exceptions to this, although the world would argue differently in many cases, and they'd be mistaken based on life. Because whenever you get sick, whether you're a tiny baby or whether you're an 89-year-old person or whether you're my age or whether you're Mary or whoever you are, all of a sudden, your career and achievement fly out the window. And in the face of death, in the face of mortality, in the question of who am I forever, and where will I be, and what does this life mean, They uh, those I- issues negate, I used to say they diminish in importance, but in fact, I now can honestly say I believe they negate career. Career flows out of love, and career can be a wonderful thing, and a sustaining thing, and an important thing, and a self-giving matter, but when it comes to the relative importance in your, the length of your life between personal love, romantic love with another human being, and the fruit of that, and the commitment of that, uh, vis-a-vis or in comparison with career and career achievement and the career path, there is, unless you're a religious, that is to say, unless you're a monk or a nun, or perhaps a priest in the Roman Catholic tradition, um, the two are not uh, do not have the same weight. 
And when you're dying, when you're sick, no matter where you are, when you're really in need, your need for belovedness will far outweigh your need for your career path. Believe me, that's true. And if you don't see it, I invite you to consider it now so you don't reach a disastrous point at age 38 when you say, oh my gosh, what did I, what did I, lo- what did I lose in favor of something that's turned out to be secondary? Simeon Zoll has a wonderful post on a reel on Instagram. He and his family visited the Tate Modern in London the other day, and he said the trouble with the exhibitions of the current art of various kinds at the Tate Modern, and there were some wonderful works of art there, is that um, the way it's curated and the overall ideological drift of it is primarily yoked to secondary concerns rather than primary concerns, and I couldn't agree with him more. It's not that secondary concerns and ideological concerns of this or that or various trends today aren't important and don't have a role to play and don't have a voice. They do, but they are not primary concerns and great art at its best is always dealing with primary concerns. And those primary concerns are love, individual belovedness, uh, the, uh, how to deal with rejection, but mostly the fruit of individual belovedness and the uh, question of ultimately who am I, where am I, and what am I, and what shall I be, and whom shall I be, like the last act of our town. Now... <clears throat> That's the first point. Now, the second point is that the secret of a long-term marriage, this is partly a male way of looking at it, but it's actually true for everybody, is that when things become, shall we say, dry or rote or not very full of heart feeling, the... You're not in a new phase or a new season, to use that kind of, uh, the word season is just about to kill me. Uh, You have lost contact with the love which brought it into being. Um, And what you need to do when a long-term relationship seems to be losing its luster, like after the birth of your first child or after some other physical ailment or with the passage of time and the change in your body, which is um, simply a given regardless of your diet. It's a given ultimately, unless you have genetics uh, in your favor. And some do like Mary, she has genetics in her favor. Um, But nonetheless, she herself is also the age she is. Um, The secret of rekindling love is to go back to where you, um, you, you missed it or you lost it. Um, I've often quoted from Meister Eckhart, the great medieval mystic, who said, if you can't find God, go back to where you lost him. Well, similarly, if you can't find love now, the spark that you had, the love you had for this person with whom you have thrown in your lot and who is difficult and challenging, and you yourself may be difficult or challenging, and you've changed and he's changed and she's changed or whatever, go back to where the spark was. And in 95% of marriages, there was a spark. I mean, every so often you married somebody for that you didn't really love, or you married somebody you didn't love for some other exterior reason or condition or circumstance, but 95% of marriages are sincerely um, um, inaugurated and go back to where you lost him. And you can always do that because you did have something once. I specifically called this episode 374, The Girl I Married, after an episode of The Twilight Zone, which was broadcast in July of... uh, Uh, 1987 in the season two reboot of the original. Therefore, it's not the uh, wonderful Rod Serling, which I adore, but it's the later Philippe Daguerre, and there were other very creative people who did it, the later reboot. Um, 
And this is the season two episode of the later reboot entitled The Girl I Married. And in it, a couple who were young once and now they're sort of in their 40s and they don't have children and he's chasing his career in Silicon Valley and she has her career, whatever it is. And they're both very... um, uh, they're very busy people, but their relationship has gone to pot. You can just see it a mile away. And it's just the the ground is prepared for some kind of extramarital affair on either side. You can just see it coming. But one day, the chap sees a sort of a pretty flower child type of girl who he meets while sort of at lunch hour or something, and he strikes up a conversation, and they almost instantly go to bed together, and he just is totally entranced by this young hippie whom he meets. But oddly enough, his wife who feels basically about him the way he has come to feel about her, uh, meets this sort of guy in blue jeans, this sort of young, rather snappish, uh, uh, impulsive type of guy, but kind of lovable guy, and she meets him with a funny beard. And she, uh, much younger than she, about 20 years younger than she, and she has an affair with him, like, instantly, and is amazed. And so they're, both of them are harboring these extramarital affairs they're having with these much younger sort of wild child people they've met along the way, and then come to find out that they have each each met their, the husband has met his wife again the way she was 20 years before, and the wife has met her husband exactly the person he was 20 years before. They are having an affair with their uh, husband and or wife at, simply at a different uh, places like that margarita you know that uh, i like margaritas that song about he puts an ad looking for the perfect wife and she puts an ad looking for the perfect husband and they end up meeting and they find out it's them well that's the same idea the girl i married and it's really dear and absolutely lovely i think it's james whitmore's son stars in it but it's really look at it but that's what you do and it can happen easily all you need to do is go back to some place where you were together very frequently when i'm in boston in addition to visiting my Harvard Final Club, which is the only thing I find to admire about Harvard University now, I uh, always go, whether I'm with Mary or alone, and sometimes it's alone because I have to be there for some other reason or am there for some alumni-related reason. I uh, always take the tram out to where we really first knew each other uh, and first had meals together and really enjoyed our company together, and it's a section of Brookline on Harvard Street that is all I need to do. I mean, the neighborhood has completely changed, and the people who live there have completely changed, and the sense of it has changed, but all I need to do is walk by that apartment on Harvard Street, and boy, oh boy, I'm right there, and it's a very good place to be. Go back to where you lost him. So, just a real quick synopsis of this particular marriage. We met each other at Chapel Hill, coming from entirely different contexts and situations as younger children. And I immediately liked her, but I was not... it was the timing was wrong for all sorts of reasons. Uh, she was it just she was in a different place and I was in a different place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I liked her and her smile is eternal. I mean, who can ever recover from Mary Kaufmanzal's um, vital, uh, extraordinarily welcome smile, gregarious in the very highest and best sense. It's like the Holy Spirit, her smile. I noticed it. God knows I noticed it, but we met, and then because she was moving up to Mass General to work, and I was transferring to college up in Cambridge, we saw each other a little bit just as friends, uh, and that's all it was, uh, although I wished it might have been more, but it wasn't going to be. And then one thing happened, and other things happened, and so forth and so on, and then the right time comes, and then you meet the person when it's the right time, and finally you're able to really fall in love and be together, and the best possible romantic one-to-one way. And that's when the marriage was uh, birthed and we got married back here in Winter Garden, Florida and brought together two things. But the key thing there is we immediately after two nights on Peter Pan's ride, 
God in a step of faith, which it was for both of us. We went to England. We took a flight in the middle of a coal strike. There was no heat. We went to an odd Church of England evangelical charismatic environment that was completely new to us, but really wonderful and deeply spiritual and exactly what we've been looking for in terms of a Christian community for years, and we found it. And we had these two extraordinary years there in this world that was so different from anything we'd known. Either of us, I could tell a funny story, which I will tell in private, about how different it really was in the most (laughs) funny way. But we uh, bloomed. Then we come back to Washington where I was ordained. I'd grown up in the Diocese of Washington and was ordained sort of sight unseen. And we went to a church that hated us. They, they, absolutely, they thought I was some kind of crypto-baptist, although I had always been in that world. But because of our message, we were completely uh, not tolerated by the powers that be, not the people in the parish who loved us, and we loved them. But the powers that be were threatened in some way by us, and uh, we couldn't have been more badly treated there at uh, Good Shepherd Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Washington at that And here we were full of faith and enthusiasm. We would have done anything to further the kingdom. And we were treated so badly, but then rescued, the two of us together, rescued by Fitzsimmons Allison, spent six and a half years in New York City where we were wanted and had a ministry of together of tremendous joy and satisfaction and growth and fruitfulness and uh, had two wonderful children there despite illnesses and this, that, and the other thing. Mary was able to give birth to our first two sons, John and David, and then we were called to a parish that had basically completely died and it was no longer a parish. It was now, um, I wasn't even, it couldn't be a rector because the parish had died, had had. Uh, I was told, well, we they have thirty thousand uh, dollars, which is all they have in their little funds, and that's for three. And you have three years to uh, to bring this parish back, or or you'll obviously you'll preside over its closure. And we spent six and a half wonderful years there, and after working very very hard, but it finally came together, and great things happened there. And again, together, and then Simeon was born. Together, we had three sons, and it was a remarkable time. And then I made a slight error, partly because of church political concerns, partly because of my own impatience, and we went to a parish in South Carolina. Again, together, but not really the right decision. And uh, that had advantages, too. There were some good things there, and our children were happy there. And <clears throat> We worked together and sort of turned a sousier into a silk purse, and I don't say that uh, deleterious to the parish, but to our sense of calling. And then... Uh, and then we made this strange decision to go to Germany, where I um, was awarded a PhD eventually after hard work uh, with our children. And there were mistakes involved there that were primarily mine of impatience, but we worked it together. And uh, our children were basically learned a great deal, and I think are basically stretched in a positive way. And then after that, we were called remarkably to. And this is all in the hurly-burly of regular raising of children and questions and returning, having to return to our first love, meeting Mary and me together, our relationship in the light of God's grace. And then uh, finally, um, we get the call of our life, which is to be uh, the dean uh, of the Advent, dean rector of Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, where there was a tremendously warm welcome to our message and to ourselves, and that turned out to be in some ways the most fruitful period in our ministry, a very happy, happy time for us and for our children, and again together, and then Mary discovered her extraordinarily and previously somewhat intrinsic, but not fully vested or fully incarnated career as a 
garden designer and landscape designer and horticulturalist, and she became a really, in my opinion, a, a regionally celebrated achievement in her gardens. And uh, that was so remarkable uh, and until, again, together, believing we were doing the right thing under God during a time of intense conflict in the Episcopal Church, I went to be the I and Mary accepted a call to be the Dean of Trinity Episcopal School for Ministry in Pittsburgh, and that was a mistake. It was a mistake, given the situation over there, and we experienced there a, an improbable and completely unexpected rejection, mostly on the right, because I wasn't quite conservative in tone and polemic. Uh, I was not as conservative in tone and polemic as the uh, powers that be on the faculty, and we received a whopping rejection. I've never, unlike anything I'd ever had, it caused a complete end to my formal ministry. But again, we weathered that, and weathered is not quite the word. We suffered that together, and uh, barely survived. Not as a couple, we survived as a couple, but I barely survived as a person and as a minister, and it took about ten years to recover from that. Again, together in every sense, and our children were so supportive, and we were so supportive of our children, and I did recover, and I have recovered now, and I'm now uh, back in Birmingham and Florida and the Northeast, um, doing work as we see it pastorally, but without official intentionality, but enjoying and hoping for the best. And more than that, no, moving forward in promise, Peter Pan's ride to find the next phase of our lives together. Well, that's my little synopsis, and I'm about to close, but to finish with them, uh, that we go back sometimes, and I need to go back to what was really important. Oh, I can listen to Steely Dan, I can listen to Deep Purple, and remember music and movies that we saw. I forced Mary, but she was very nice about it, to go see Night of the Living Dead with me when it was the biggest cultural thing, sort of like Rocky Horror Picture Show. It wouldn't be a success today in the same way, but I went to the big, you know, I said, Mary, we've got to go see Night of the Living Dead. Well, you can, and when we were first courting, we weren't married in Boston. You can imagine how that went over. <laughs> <laughs> but she bore with me, but I knew that I'd, I wouldn't take her again tonight at Night of the Living Dead. But um, when we were at our really most attacked that year in the Diocese of Washington, and I'm still a member of the Diocese of Washington officially, but that first year, 1974, uh, uh, 75, it was just H-E-double-L. Let me get that right, 73, 73. Um, I think it was 75, 76. It was, uh, we were so rejected and it was so difficult and we were working so together. But on a Sunday night after I was just shaking after having to deal with the lay staff, not the people, the people I loved and they, I think they loved us and the kids in the youth group, I think, loved us. We had wonderful relationships with them under God, but not the leadership. And uh, I'd come home just a mess on a Sunday night and we would watch the BBC uh, version uh, with Susan Hampshire of... Um, the Pallisers, and uh, the music of the Pallisers is totally in my mind associated with the two, uh, two loving, loved people together, oh, surviving together this terrible time under God, and we would watch this. And so this is my close. This is what I go back to. Theme from the Pallisers, 1975. Love you so much, and if I may say on my behalf to myself and to Mary, happy anniversary. Love you.